anytime we have a webinar, blog, social media post, or podcast about marketing, our audience eats it up. Marketing is a big topic. There's a lot to it, and I think knowing where to even begin can feel overwhelming for a business owner with no marketing experience. That's why I've invited some of the best resources I know, my own colleagues here on the marketing team at PropLogix, to share how they would start a marketing strategy for a title company from scratch, including suggestions on where to allocate your time and resources so that you can see results without running yourself ragged. Save this one for later because you're going to want to come back to it. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe to PropLogix on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss another amazing episode again. If you've already subscribed, maybe leave us a review. It helps other people find our show and allows us to keep making more episodes. Welcome to Season 5, folks. I'm Lindsay Gordon, and this is Title Talks. to be joined by my colleagues on the marketing team here at PropLogix. Uh, if you were able to attend our webinar on building a meaningful marketing strategy that we had not long ago, um, this is kind of a continuation of that conversation. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, you can definitely go to our site and watch the recording. Um, but today, I really wanted to give everyone an opportunity to introduce themselves and talk a little bit about their experience in marketing. Um, so Becky, I'm going to let you go ahead and start. Yeah, I mean, I've been in marketing for years, and I think that this industry is very different from any other experience that I've had in the past. It is so relationship-based. And so some of the techniques that I would recommend if you were starting a business um, in other industries would be completely different from here. But I think um, we can kind of go around and talk about our marketing experience with the rest of the team, but we're going to get a little bit into the weeds today about some of the tactics and techniques that we would use specific to the title industry when starting out. Awesome. Thanks, Becky. How about you, Court? Yeah, so I've been a designer for probably over seven years and in the title industry space for probably two and a half. And definitely coming into the title industry has been very interesting and a huge learning curve because... Yeah. It is so niche and there is so much to learn. So that definitely drives your whole branding and marketing strategy. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it gets really specific, like when you're in an, a niche like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Sam, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, you guys. Um, my name is Sam and I have uh, nearly a decade of experience in digital marketing. I mean, global globalization was literally a part of my teenage years and early adulthood. So I pretty much live and breathe everything digital. And like Courtney was mentioned, like it's such a niche industry. So um, I've only been in title doing marketing for about two years. So yes, it is a huge learning curve, but I absolutely having fun doing this and learning so much by doing marketing in uh, title. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. 
Yeah. Um, so I've been with PropLogix for nine years. That's when like my marketing career started. Before that, I was in journalism. So it's a lot about like understanding your audience and like how to distill information in a way that it's easy for people to understand. So we use a lot of that in, in a lot of the branding and marketing stuff that we do here at PropLogix. But um, again, yeah, a while kind of getting to understand our audience and and just to let everybody know, you know, we're we're more focused on like title agents. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're you're kind of our target target audience. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit more specific to you know you as title professionals and generally the real estate um, professionals that you guys are trying to target, and then you know maybe some buyers uh, and sellers mixed in there too as well. So there is a bit of a distinction, but um, the overall real estate and settlement services industry is one that we all have been working in for a while and we know quite a lot about because we've tried a lot of things, failed at some things, some things have really stuck and, and been really successful for us. So we're going to kind of take all of that knowledge and hopefully help you all um, start your marketing strategy if you don't have one already for your organization. So um, again, we are talking about building a strategy from scratch. So maybe you are not doing any marketing whatsoever, but you're a well-established brand. You've been around for a while, or maybe you're starting a new title company and you kind of want to start from the ground up um, with a marketing strategy and really hit the ground running in your market. Um, I want to take a second to talk a little bit about like the difference between sales and marketing because we hear a lot of people kind of conflate the two thinking that they're kind of the same we hear like the term marketing rep a lot and it's like a single person and I think we would really sort of describe that more as a salesperson they're really about um you know going in person and um you know meeting with people and like closing that deal and getting them to start referring business directly um but I wanted to hear a little bit about what you guys think, like what, what, how would you define the difference between marketing and sales? Yeah, you know, Linz, this industry definitely um, intertwines the two. And I think the reality mm -hmm. is that there are a lot of functions of both the sales and marketing role that either overlap or they could be duplicative of one another, but in different formats. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the way that I think about it is that if you're outbound, if you're going, you know, into brokerage offices, if you're trying to be present at networking events to find opportunities um, with different realtors, if your responsibility is to bring on new customers and close more deals with those people, then I would define you as being in a sales role. You know, you're yeah kind of needing to do that, um, that nurturing in person. You're trying to have those conversations where you work up to understanding whether or not that, that realtor um, or investor would consider utilizing you or your business entity to do business with. And you're moving along um, what we would consider the customer journey. Uh, in the digital world, you're, you're doing that in person. You're feeling your way through a conversation, um, engaging where that person stands in terms of wanting to work with you. Whereas a marketing role, while it can absolutely be in person, oftentimes the person facilitating some of the logistics for those marketing events and networking events um, where you're trying to build that brand awareness, mm -hmm. they also have some digital aspects where they're trying to gauge people's interactions by leveraging the data, looking at how people are 
um, you know, reading emails that are being sent out, clicking on things of interest and trying to understand, okay, what information can I feed them next to keep them going along in this journey? Um, and so it's, it to me, there is in-person and digital, but it is a fine line between when marketing nurtures a lead to the point where they would be maybe ready for a sales conversation to talk a little bit more about price and the logistics of doing business. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, if I were to like kind of distill it into like really simple terms, it would be like that, like you said, the brand awareness. Marketing's domain or realm is really to like get people to understand who you are and that you exist, that you're there, like and like kind of making sure that you're you're present and that people find you, whether it be at an in-person event or or if it is through digital efforts. Um, and then sales is really kind of that they're there to like nurture and close those deals and get people to like actually start ordering or, you know, sending referrals from you. Yeah, we're teeing them up. You know, you want mm-hmm. a sales rep to be able to walk in somewhere and for that person to say, I know you, I've heard of you, I recognize you. And it's like, that's us, that's the marketing team, you're welcome, you know, <laughs> but then they can go and have that trust already built in the brand to continue on with their sales conversation. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so now that we kind of have that out of the way, we, we, we know what marketing is and like what the domain of marketing is and the purpose of marketing is. Um, we, where do you start? Like where do you start building a strategy? And I think we talked about this before, like it's like a chicken or the egg. Do you really like figure out who your audience is and let that kind of define what your brand is? Or do you start by defining your brand and then you kind of figure out, okay, well, who's my audience? Like, like what, what do you guys think? Um, I would say definitely go with the audience first. I mean, for me, for me to get something started, it's like, you know, you already know that what you, you know, this is something I want to do, whether it's a product or service, like, you know, this is something I know somebody needs this. So, and then once you figure it out, okay, so then you already know the background, the story of why you were starting this business. And then that's where you go into the details after you do your research and then start um, <clears throat> do your branding. Yeah, absolutely. Figuring out like, you know, like you were saying, like knowing there's a demand for something and then figuring out who it is and how mm-hmm. do you respond to that demand in a way that that person who needs that thing is going to really um, respond to, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's at least that's what I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I was going to say really quick, what about people who already have um, a, like an established, like a pretty established brand? Like maybe they've been around for a while. Like what would you recommend in that case? They don't have any marketing. They don't have a strategy together, but they, they do already have a brand and they have been serving some people. As like a title company that it's yeah. already a name, but then they don't have marketing. I would, uh, for me, I would definitely start it out in the brand. You know, there is, where is the opportunity? And I think I would start it with like the simplest thing as, you know, look at your competitors. You know, is it the local uh, local companies, the uh, title companies that you are competing with, or maybe some of the bigger uh, bigger brand that's operating in your market? See what they are doing. Do they have a website? Is you know, is there a social media platform that they are on, but you are not on? Is there some like where what's missing? Like you know, how come that they are doing something that you're not? Is it is it but 
their audience is there, but you weren't aware of it. So then you can have a better idea of like, you know, what's the missed opportunity here. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say, Becky? I was going to say, you might already be established as a brand and it's very clear what products and services you're able to offer. But, you know, Lindsay, we were talking about this in the very beginning when it comes to mission and vision of a company. You know, do you choose your mission before you understand your audience or vice versa? And it's like, well, you might already know who your audience is, but it's not to say that you can't take the time either to really redefine or evaluate what is our company mission and what do we want to stand for, stand behind, because you have to look at your audience when curating that idea um, because they're, what they're going to react to or resonate with is what you want to focus on. I mean, there's definitely something where it's like you need to believe in it. You have to stand behind it, of course. That's who you are as a company and how you interact. Um, but also when you're thinking about it, it's like, well, what type of audience am I trying to get? And I was joking earlier saying we could go into a million different brands. I know we were talking the other day about Tom's. You know, you create shoes, but you're yeah. donating a pair. Is your audience the people that look at that shoe and say I really like the shoe or do they really like the concept that for every pair you buy they're donating one Mm -hmm. and that's where you know it could be both but you have to be really careful about how you're defining your brand and who you're trying to resonate with yeah absolutely so I would say the the first thing you do want to start with is like I really nailing down the brand identity like who you are and who you're for and like Becky had mentioned and we said before a mission statement is a really good way to do that you know and it and I think um, a nice way would might be like if you have team members maybe brainstorming with them and kind of say like um, or, or even asking like your customers like how do you, like if you could define us like how how would you say you know how would you describe us as, as a company and like why is it that you work with us kind of nailing down those things would definitely help you kind of script out you know it's a few sentences really max is is what you need but putting that together and really kind of using that as like the north star for your company and and I think everything will really kind of build off of that in your organization in terms of like marketing and sales and how people interact with your company overall. Yeah, one of my favorite exercises is asking yourself, how do you think people would define you today? I mean, whether it's three words in a sentence, however you want to say it, but then questioning your team and saying, but how do we want to be recognized? Mm -hmm. Because how you think you're being recognized or seen isn't necessarily what that end goal is. And so you look at where you stand, you look at where you want to be, how you want to be viewed, and then start to put the pieces together of, okay, how do we get there? And that is absolutely asking your customers, asking other employees, and brainstorming sessions with teams not only is so much fun, but it drives the motivation of allowing them to believe that they were part of the process of coming up with those ideas. And you're going to get so much more engagement and interaction from an internal employee perspective to work towards where you want to go if they've been part of it from the beginning. Absolutely. So well said. So, okay, we've defined our our brand identity and like who we are and who we're for. So let's talk a little bit about visual brand because a lot of people would think like, oh, originally I'm going to start with a logo and then build everything based off of that. But like a designer like Courtney is going to want to have a better understanding of who you are as an organization because that informs so much. Right, Courtney? Mm Oh, exactly. The designer is going to come to you and ask, what do you stand for? You know, describe your company in a few words. And if you can't give them to give that to them, they're going to have nothing to go off of to start building your visual identity. So it's so important that you focus in on that first. 
absolutely. So, okay, so we're talking about like, you know, maybe you have to hire a designer because most people can't do this on their own. They're going to have to hire some sort of help. Um, so what are some things when it comes to the visual aspects of your brand like that you would really need like as a, as a bare minimum as, as an organization? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, first and foremost, obviously a logo. You might already be an established company and just have the basics of a logo. But going off of that, the other few things I think that you do need is a color palette, certain colors that you're using. And I think that sounds simple, but colors do drive emotion and they influence people. So they are important when picking them out and how they pair together. Um, on top of that, also fonts you use. Um, just having a couple established fonts are really going to help drive your brand recognition. But I think those would be the few things that you need to have. Of course, you can you go further than that? That will make your branding more personable and fun with adding other brand elements, of course. But those are definitely the core elements that you need. Yeah, yeah. And, and like talking about if you have a brand already, like we did this what in 2020, we went through a rebrand, like a, a total mm -hmm. visual rebrand, right? And so it's like, just because you already have something doesn't mean like it's necessarily going to get you as far as you want to go, right? Exactly. The brand we had before, I think, did not reflect our company and our personality at all. I came on right when the rebrand happened. And let me tell you, like, yeah, the new brand reflects us so much more. So it's important, like you said, even Sam was talking about, like, look back, do a company audit. Are you, you know, presenting yourself the way you want to be presented, both in person, tone of voice and visually? Mm -hmm. Good point. What were you going to say, Becky? Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, a rebrand is a huge undertaking um, because it is in so many different places, your logo usage, your color usage, your entire website. And it's more than just a logo and colors. It's your entire theme and your feel. You know, for us, it was like, we're a little bit friendlier. You know, we want more wavy lines than straight rigid lines. And while it might sound crazy to look at, you know, just the linear fashion of your letterhead, <laughs> it really does make a difference in how people feel when interacting with the brand in all ways, shapes and forms. Um, we put together not only the visual guidelines, but our brand messaging guidelines of how we, you know, handle situations. Lindsay, you really took that head on um, as our communications director. But I think it is important to note that it is never too late um, if you're looking at your website, your logo, your fonts, your colors, and it doesn't give you a good feeling or it doesn't feel modernized to you, then chances are your customers don't feel that way either. And they're probably looking to companies that have a little bit more of that um, free functionality, intuitiveness when you're on their site trying to navigate. Um, it feels more fresh and modern, which makes them think this company knows what they're doing. Um, I, I definitely am happy that we did the rebrand, even though it was a big undertaking. And um, if anyone's still out there using Comic Sans, you might not think <laughs> a font could totally dictate whether or not people would use you, but I promise you as a marketer, if I go to a website and Comic Sans is on there, I am off so fast, you couldn't even click a button. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you bring up is that it's like, if you think about like your own experience interacting with companies, because we all do it all day. We live in a capitalist society, like, you know, we're consumers. So we're all, we're constantly interacting with other brands. And if you think about like what you look at and see that like makes you feel like, oh, I would, I would work with them. Like they, they look trustworthy or like, like Becky had said that it's like, it looks modern and fresh. And I, and I like that. That must mean that they're staying up to date on what's going on and what, you know, so it, it all 
all of these like what seem like really small and insignificant things are really kind of impacting how you feel about something and your likelihood to then work with that company, right? Especially since we know realtors are constantly on the road, on their phone, they want mobile friendly, they want something that they can interact with that's going to be ease of use when they're in the midst of showing houses, working on contracts, taking phone calls. And so that goes back to knowing who your audience is and really building a brand that mirrors what they would be looking for in a company they could use and trust. A hundred percent. So now I wanted to shift a little bit um, and talk to Sam uh, about, you know, digital presence. You know, there's so many, I mean, obviously we're talking about title companies who might have nothing at all. They may not have a ton of resources. So it's like so many places that you can be and things that you can spend time and effort on uh, in your marketing that may not get you very far. So it's like, it's how do you whittle that down? How do you kind of decide where you need to be when we're talking about a digital presence? Because like we live in an online world, like you got to have a website, you got to have, you know, certain things in order to like play the game at all and participate. So like, how do you know what to focus on and where you need to be? I think, I think the most, most, like the bare minimum, like, are you easily found online? I think that's like any, anyone nowadays, if they heard something, if they, you know, people recommend them something, they are going to Google them. And if you don't pop up the first thing on Google, then, you know, most likely that your competitor is might get that business. But mm -hmm. if you are easily found online, people don't need to spend three minutes. Three minutes is too long for people nowadays. I mean, you need to make sure within 30 seconds, people type in your name and then you showed up. Uh, you need to be there. I mean, it, you sometimes like like you mentioned sometimes people don't necessarily have the resource to have a website and then but there is a lot of the free uh, free tool or free platforms that you can utilize the google my business i mean once you get your profile set up automatically people search it and make sure they are at the right um area then your name is going to pop up your information is going to be there um or there's always social media that you can use and then function as your website website until you have time or the resource to build a website that you love. So I think, yeah, for when it comes to the digital presence, definitely need to be found online. And sometimes if you don't pay attention and people start leaving reviews on your unclaimed business profiles and then you forgot to address it or you didn't even notice and which is going to negatively impact your business. So most likely, even if you haven't like claimed your um, Google My Business, like it, it, it does exist. It does. Especially, sometimes, especially when you, like you mentioned, if you already have a brand that's pretty well known, but then, you know, you don't necessarily have the marketing in place and people who like your business, they're going to go on like because they want to tell the world how, how amazing this experience that had and make it so much easier for them to purchase a home or sell the home. And then they leave business or sometimes they're trying to, you know, make a complaint, maybe something didn't go as they expected. And then they were not happy when, you know, that was your opportunity to save this um, customers. But if you are not there, then, you know, you can't necessarily address the issue and then make up to them. Yeah, yeah. So when you talk about social media, like how do you, I mean, there's so many different um, platforms out there. Like how do you kind of figure out like where to spend your time if you are going to do social media? 
I think the biggest thing is when we talk about like the whole chicken and egg thing for me always the audience comes first and then you know knowing where they spend their time sometimes you might just you know looking at the people that you work with where you partner with and then see what kind of social media they are most actively on sometimes you see all the real estate agents they would show their listing on Instagram or sometimes there is the Facebook groups where you know they talk about um the local area of what's open and then the, the um recent listings so really it's understanding your audience and then see where they are and that's where you need to be you don't need to be on every single platform i mean you guys busy busy enough like don't don't spend any more extra time to manage every single platform it's just not necessary yeah what about, uh, I might throw this back to Courtney, because um, I think this is something we might have touched on in our webinar, but maybe we didn't have time for it. But like, you know, let's say you're on social and you want to, obviously you have, you need content to share and stuff like that. So like, you know, as far as your visual brand, like how, how do you like create those pieces of content? Like what's some tools that you could use? Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely on the visual side of things, it's super easy in Canva to either have a designer set you up templates or Canva itself has a bunch of templates if you're searching for a Merry Christmas post. Go in there, find one, and then you can take that template, change it to your brand colors, change it to your fonts. They already have things there for you. You just need to make sure you already have your brand guidelines in place to then use it for your brand. But like I said, having templates that you can then use on social, for email, for flyers, um, graphics are a great way to communicate with your customer. So, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sam, I was going to ask you too, because I feel like email is a really big topic. And it's something we talked about in the webinar about like, it's kind of like this, you know, once you have, well, how do you get people's emails? You know, like, how do you, how do you start nurturing them? So like, like, what are some ways that, that you could potentially start um, getting people's attention and getting those emails? So then you can start nurturing them. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think this is something we also touch on briefly in our uh, webinar is like when it comes to adding value, you know, when you when you post social, I mean, make sure it's something that is going to be informative and educational. People find value. And then, you know, if you're working with an agent, what do the agent's um, clients can benefit from you on I mean you are the expert here when it comes to closing home buyers and home seller if it's the first time there will be so many questions and that's where you step in and then show that hey you know this is how this is how it's going and that's going to build the trust with you and your mm-hmm. audience and when people have the trust then you know they're more likely to give you a follow or even give you their email address because they want to know more about it you mean people have to say oh I'm gonna get uh, house by 40 and then like you know they have their plan ready you know they start collecting all the information they can and that's where you know they want to subscribe to you they want to follow you on social or if you have a blog then they want to give you the email and they say you know I want to know more if there is more information I would love to know more and that's where you get to start nurturing them and then for them to understand you know when it comes not necessarily selling it's more like you know telling the story I think that's what we were talking about between between the sales and marketing is more like sharing the story and telling them like, you know, why is this important? Why is this needed? And then help nurture them so then they can understand. And by the time they make the decision, that's when the salespeople um, show up and then start pushing the personal touch there. 
Yeah, so essentially it's about having something in exchange, a va- valuable, something mm-hmm. valuable in exchange for either their information or the, uh, them to follow you to really kind of hook them to get them to start like seeing your brand as someone who's going to help them mm-hmm. along whatever it is that they need, yeah. right? Yeah, and I was just going to say too, we keep talking about, you know, telling a story and building the trust, offering them something of value. And one of the things that we've found is so important is that if you have customers that are already utilizing you and trust you and like your products, like your services, um, trust your brand, like I said, then you need to encourage them to give testimonials, to Mm -hmm. give Google reviews. You know, that business does exist on Google and people today, when they're looking to utilize a business, they don't just trust the brand and the way that it makes them feel. They're constantly looking for some sort of review. What have other people said to justify that the way I'm feeling is accurate. And so they're looking for those reviews. They're looking for those stories. And it's so much more when it's coming from a third party versus the business itself. Of course, you're always going to promote yourself. You're going to make yourself out to be the company that you are, which is, I'm sure, fantastic. Um, But if you've got someone who's gaining nothing from saying you're fantastic, it goes a lot further. So I just think that's important, too, is to have your entire team, not just marketing and not just sales, but around any interactions, encouraging your customers to, you know, even if it was like, hey, write your experience from your closing in our notebook in person, like Airbnbs do when you leave the house. So when people show up, you know, in the waiting room, they can look at it. Any little thing makes it a big difference if it's coming from others. Yeah. And I can add on to that because once you have the positive feedback and then that's also you can utilize those feedback and display it on your social media or any type of marketing material that you have I mean when it comes to you are more likely to get somebody that I'll uh, get something that your friends recommend you or somebody recommend you than you know the company tell you this thing I mean most of the time when I read books it's always reading from what my friends recommend not necessarily oh right. this is the top sellers and so yeah exactly and that's where the brand consistency comes in too so let's say you have tons of um, quotes from customers that you've gotten approval to use. They've written in books, you know, handwriting, and you can take that information and little, you know, golden nuggets and gems to then go promote on social media or put on your website. Courtney was talking about leveraging Canva to build out templates. I know we have all of our um, branded templates for social media graphics, ads, posts inside of Canva. So we don't have to wait on Courtney every single mm-hmm. time we want to post something on social. Sam can take any quotes that we get and she can throw them into the templates. You don't have to have graphic design experience to do that. And it allows for you to have that color scheme that's recognized across the board. It's like when you're scrolling on social, before you even see the company name or the logo, oftentimes just the look Mm -hmm. of the social post, the ad, the piece, whatever it may be, even the tone of voice, you'll start to recognize that you know exactly who you're swiping past before you even read who it is. And that's where, that's where you want to get your brand. Yeah, I think having something that feels unmistakably you, um, because I, I know this is something we mentioned before, but that it's that Google says that it takes 11 touch points for people um, across four different locations. So that could be something like, like maybe it was an in-person, you know, show that they went to or, you know, some sort of like, um, you know, 
uh, realtor area group, you know, thing that you were at, or it was going to your website or seeing you on social, like 11 different touch points before someone could even decide to start working with you. So it's like making sure that you're making the most of every single one of those touch points and that they have your signature on it essentially. So that there is that, that sort of like brand recognition. So now we've established, you know, obviously you have to really hone in and define what your brand is. And then you have to have like a nice solid visual brand. And then we've talked about like where you need to be and how you should be interacting with people to really provide value. Now we want to talk because those are a lot of things. Those are not to say that they're easy to do, but it's like those are kind of some simple things that are kind of bare minimum. You need to be part of the conversation. You need to have a logo. But what we want to talk about now is really setting yourself apart from from the rest of the people in your um, your market. How do you like really build trust and authority in your market? And I wanted to pass it off to Becky and and kind of get her her take on that. Yeah, and I think you just said what we consider one of the most important words, which is authority. It's essentially what does that mean? Well, people are going to you to find information. They're trusting in the education that you're sharing um, and following your direction almost in, you know, anticipation for the future, things that they should do. They, They trust in the content that you're sharing. And some of the ways that you can do that, um, is through, free education, being part of the conversation, you know, joining or partnering with the National Association of Realtors to share and educate on the products and services that you're offering. So you're a face that they recognize, your services are more understood. They, you know, they understand that what you're doing is also protecting their reputation. You're kind of building on what matters to them most um, when they're dealing and interacting with clients who they expect to get return business from years, you know, down the road. But I think it's really important to also notice that this authority position is something that is not just, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It's built over the course of time. And that is being consistently part of conversations. Um, One of the ways you probably sit there and go, well, okay, who can I you know, talk to, who can I be in conversation with? You might know, you know, other title agents in the area, um, but maybe they're your competition and you don't want to talk to them about what's going on in their business or give them the visibility. But you might have a lender that you partner with all the time who could talk about interest rates and what that means. And that would be really educational for buyers and sellers. Um, Like I said, you might partner with the National Association of Realtors But one of the other things that I would highly recommend, um, even as a vendor in this space, obviously not as a title agent ourselves, um, one of the things that really helped PropLogic start positioning themselves and gaining those true relationships within the industry was becoming a member of both the American Land Title Association as well as state land title associations. We were corporated in Florida when we originally started. We're a national company now. But joining, you know, the Florida Land Title Association, being part of those conversations, understanding what's being lobbied for, bills that are passing, these are all really important aspects of being um, someone who can educate others within the industry to stand out as that authority. And the more relationships that you build, the more podcasts that you can do with people, phone recordings, you know, live webinars, you're really building that trust. So I think that's important. Um, And even more so than just being a a member is joining committees. That's where a lot of the discussions are really 
happening, education is provided, um, and you have like-minded individuals that are either from different areas of your state or different areas of the nation where you're learning what's working and what's not working. So, Yeah, no, I think that's really good. I would say, you know, you don't necessarily have to host a podcast or run the webinars, but really forging relationships and finding those opportunities where you can either, if, if you're kind of the owner and you're kind of the face of the company, or if there's maybe an executive that you could kind of position as the authority, you know, who's really sort of that, um, you know, touch point for the industry that is representing your brand, you know, you can find places for them to speak in front of audiences and, and, you know, kind of really just, but you have to be engaged in order to, to even find those opportunities. You won't know where they are and they're everywhere. They really are. I mean, you can write editorials for your, your local, um, new uh, real estate section uh, in the, you know, um, uh, local paper that you, or you can, you know, like, Becky had said the National Association of Realtor, realtor.com. They have all kinds of content. You know, you can find um, things like HARO. It's help a reporter out. They're always looking for information from people like you because you are an expert in what you do. You know, like I think it's hard for people to kind of say like, hey, I, 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 this is my domain and this is what I know really well. And it's, well, it's really helpful because other people are experiencing be going through a closing, but they don't know a lot about it, but you do. And so it's like you have a lot of innate internal knowledge that you can then share and, and be the expert on. It's just, it's just really about being plugged in and kind of figuring out where those opportunities are and like positioning yourself in front of it. You do not have to host a podcast. You don't have to spend time or resources. All you need to do is position yourself and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is one question we get a lot that's that here's how I'd like to answer it for, you know, home buyers or, or sellers or real estate agents. You know, it's like it's just identifying where those opportunities are and then position yourself to get in front of them and say, hey, I can help. I, I can be a resource. I can offer this knowledge. Yeah, I think when you live and breathe it every single day, you actually forget how much you know that the typical, um, you know, new home buyer or even experienced home buyer just doesn't realize goes on during the transactional process. You know, I can't tell you how many people I know from within this title industry where it's like if someone asks, well, what do you do? It's like, I do not have a good elevator pitch for you. Like there's so much. It's so complex. We yeah. might do be you here have 10 for minutes? an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're going to leave being like, oh my gosh, that was really good information to know because what lives in our brains in, you know, our customers' brains, it's like that's so valuable to know as someone who would be making one of the biggest purchases of their lives. And so don't, you know, discount the, the information that you've gained over the course of time of being in this industry. We've got a lot of people who have worked in this industry for decades um, and they hold a lot of valuable knowledge that needs to be shared, especially as we transition to a new generation coming into this industry and working. So I think it's important. And then the one other thing I was going to say is it is a relationship industry. There's nothing that replaces face-to-face -face time and really getting to know people outside of a work environment. So of course, making a splash, whether it's brand awareness because you're brand new or you're a brand and you're trying to be able to make a difference, open your business up into new areas, whether it's geographical or just product-based, do new revenue streams. It's like throw a happy hour, do a networking event. A lot of the times the investment upfront is worth the business in the end. 
people will know who you are. Um, and oftentimes the splash is part of what happens in the beginning. And then some of that organic education and value providing comes later where you don't need to continuously invest in these big parties or brand splashes. Yeah, when you're a, it's, it's definitely different. Like if you're, if you've been around for a while, time is on your side, you know, like historically, you know, that if you're a, a long lasting title company, like people are going to know who you are probably because they've worked with you at some point, you know, you have that sort of um, advantage, but like if you are a brand new company, it is important to like do all of these things and then more to really make yourself visible, right? Yeah, and if you took the step to open up your own company, which is, you know, awesome, congrats to you <laughs> if you've done it. It's it's a big undertaking, but it's kind of like if you're going to go all in, then go all in. You know, do it right because being that little bit different, making that splash, having a digital presence, those are the things that are going to help you stand out and potentially even surpass the competition. Yeah, perfect. So I wanted to know, um, because you are all – people in marketing and we use all kinds of different tools in our day-to-day -day jobs. But what do you think, you know, if I'm a, a person starting a strategy from scratch, what are some of the like non-negotiable marketing tools that you're going to need to really help you get more done? Um, Canva. Oh my God. Canva. Is... We, we love Canva. <laughs> Canva is the savior of, of all my, I mean, and also, you know, you can do that. They offer the free plan so that you can try it out. Um, it's really as easy as you think. It's the same as those mobile phone apps that you have is drag and drop. They have the templates already. And like um, Courtney mentioned, once you have your brand um, defined, that's the color palette that you love, the font that you want your brand um, to represent and set it all up and all you need is a couple, it saves so much time, so much time. So get Canva, download Canva right away. Yeah. What is Canva? Like really simply, what would you call it? Um, it's, I, I think I would consider Canva is just like, you know, um, if people do TikTok or Instagram, it, it's just like a tool with filter with color you can, you can customize however you like and like a design a yeah. design tool right mm -hmm. yeah. it's a it's design like... tool and you know you there's the color you can adjust the color you can adjust the same thing how you how people film on tiktok or film real on their phones there is so many little filters that you can play around with it the same as canva i wanted to call out that we can see uh, becky's adorable <laughs> frenzy <laughs> It's like the team mascot, really. Yes. <laughs> Pepper has made, I thought I might get through the entire podcast without her. Well, and normally she would like go straight to the corner, but it's almost as if she knew. She was like, I'm going to stand here for a minute. Just so. Yeah. Make sure you're all focusing. I love that. Exactly. Um, I would say aside from Canva, which I also love, I'm not a designer. I don't, I, I barely even really interact with that part of the business anymore. And I just still, I still love it. Cause it's like, I still have to make um, like certain things for our podcast when we send emails out or, or sometimes have to, you know, create a quick little email graphic. Like I'll still have to use that even though I'm not a designer and I'm not really creating content for that. It's just like, but like Courtney has made us all these awesome templates. It makes it super simple. It's kind of like, here's where the text goes. Here's where the second line of text that smaller goes and here's a button and so I just kind of like plug different things in depending on what it is we need it for it makes it so so simple but the other thing I was going to say is um, a CRM a client relationship management tool 
So it's basically where you're going to keep all of the information about the people that you one are already working with and to your prospects, the people that you want to start working with. And you kind of build out profiles. So you have information about like how to get in touch with them. So like if you have their email address, maybe they've worked with you, you probably have their phone number and their email address. So you need to keep those things because if you want to reach out to them in the future, you want to have it all organized in one spot. And yeah, you can use a spreadsheet, but it makes it really hard if you're dealing with more than, you know, 10, 15 people at a time, you know? So I think it makes it a lot easier. And um, HubSpot is one, they have a free version. You don't have to pay anything. It's relatively easy to get yourself set up. You can put like some tracking stuff on your, if you do have a website and then you can kind of see what people are doing on your website. If they're reading blogs that you have, or if they're like searching, you know, where, where they're going, what they're doing, how they're interacting with your brand overall. And then, um, they, you can also send emails through that tool as well. So it makes it really, really simple. It kind of keeps everything in one place. We've been using HubSpot for a long time. We do not get paid by HubSpot or Canva, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so like we're just saying these as, as people have used tools for a long time um, and used various ones um, that they're just really, really helpful and they're well designed and they're relatively easy to start using. And also they have a lot of support in terms of like you can find you could like basically Google how to do it and they're going to have something there that's like, hey, here's exactly how you do this step by step. So it makes it super simple. Are there other yeah, tools? Well, Ooh. before we move off of a CRM, I do want to make a point where um, not only do HubSpot, Salesforce, Acton, there's a ton that you can look yes, into. Yeah. They're all priced differently. They have different levels of, um, you know, robustness, features, and functionalities. I would say that um, it really is just a way to manage your database of people. It's really hard to keep track otherwise. And you might sit there and say, well, right now spreadsheets are working for me. Um, and, and you're worried about the expense. But the expense that you would pay for the tool is going to be much less, in my opinion, than the time that it would take someone to manually be managing databases every single time you wanted to send out an email or do a direct mailer or who knows, you know, send a Christmas card. I mean, it's just really hard to keep track and keep that information up to date where multiple people can access it at any one time. I know there's a lot of cloud-based, um, you know, platforms now where you can have a spreadsheet that's shared by multiple people. But when you get into properties that really manage to you, is this, you know, a, a first time home buyer, a realtor, is this an investor? Is this a luxury realtor? You know, how are you really honing in on the type of people? Because that's going to start to drive the messaging that you can send to them that will resonate and really allow for you to target your audience um, in, in silos, essentially, and also make sure that your messaging resonates. So, um, you know, I... and. Not to get into the weeds because we can talk all about leveraging data, but if you do start to utilize CRMs, you can look at people's interactions, what they're interested in, what they're not interested in. If you do host a live event or a webinar and people say that they're going to be there, then you have that information captured so you can make sure you're not continuing to invite them to the same thing. I mean, there's so many benefits to having a CRM and you don't have to use the email tool. You know, if you want to use MailChimp because it's mm -hmm. inexpensive and it's easy, 
then you can still have a CRM without all the marketing functionality, use some cheaper side tools that either integrate or stand alone, but at least you have a tool where you can export lists that you trust in with accurate data on your database of people. So I just, I wanted to make that note. It is an expense, but I think in the end, when you look at what it does for you and how it nurtures your clients appropriately, it, it pays off in dividends. Yeah, absolutely. Really good points. Was there any other tools that you guys wanted to mention? Um, I would say Grammarly. Um, I'm all about free tools, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Gram- Grammarly. Especially ones that help us spell. <laughs> <laughs> it makes us look better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, on computer, you don't necessarily have autocorrect all the time. And sometimes there are certain words that you just, you know, you, you type it so fast now when you're on computer and then you sometimes you just type too fast and then there's typo. And sometimes when you skim through your posts or your blogs and you just simply don't catch those little mistakes so I mean with Grammarly and they integrate with so many so many things Mm -hmm. I mean whether you're typing something out in the Word document or on your browser that there is integration that is built into it and it's free you know nothing is better than free Uh, and then they would just uh, have like a little mark and showing you oh you know maybe you can rephrase like this so that it's more clear or that will show you, okay, here's a little typo and you might want to fix it before you start sending out. Um, I was going to say what I really like it for is that clarity. It's Mm kind of like, Hey, you wrote this and you spent, you know, two lines on the sentence, but you could really just cut this whole thing out and and it's easier to understand because like just brevity and clarity is like, if you're getting people's attention, you want to make sure that they get the, the message as quickly as possible because otherwise they're going to look away. So like having something that's going to be like, hey, you could probably shorten that, you know, is going to make it a lot like your writing and your email communications and that sort of thing a lot better. Yeah. This is the story of my life. It's like 10 words crossed out and it's one word. And I'm like, oh, I guess that would do the trick. <laughs> you know, you're like, shit. I'm I definitely in marketing. Sometimes you can add a lot of fluff. Um, but to Lindsay's point, if you're trying to get some conversion copywriting out there where you need to get to the point, you want people to take action right away. Um, Grammarly is great for helping summarize and get your point across. Yeah. But the one tool that I would say I think is um, really important for me, especially trying to manage all kinds of different aspects going on in the marketing world within the company, is some sort of content planning calendar. Mm-hmm. I call it a project management tool. We've used Asana for years. Um, we're you know transitioning over to Microsoft Planner. Um, begrudgingly, (laughs) but, but, um, there's all kinds of different tools. There's tools like Rike, uh, W R I K E. That's incredibly robust where you might use that for more of your like operational, um, project management planning, where you're looking at the number of minutes and hours, you know, the development team might use something like Jira to track their, um, development sprints and how much work's going into it and the backlog. But for us, I think it's so important to have a calendar of events, um, just showcasing where are our external touch points on what days, what days are the blogs going out, what are the topics, where's the webinars, when are we sending the invitations for those, what does the follow-up look like, Um, because there's a lot of different people participating in the different parts, you know, we all wear many different hats, just like 
most organizations um, have individuals that do. And so to have one place where all of those external touch points are consolidated, it's really nice. Um, that way, if one thing moves, you can look at everything else and say, okay, does this have a conflict? And I also like to have the plan um, put together at least three months out so you just um, – can put together your, your list of priorities and work towards it. So you're constantly looking ahead versus being reactionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you're saying like, um, like blogs and, and, um, emails and stuff going out, but also like, you know, if there's a trade show that you're going to, or there's a, a an educational thing that you're doing, you know, like having all of that in a central location so that, not just you if you're the only one who's like you know dealing with it but like if you have a salesperson or if you have internal people who participate like everyone can sort of see like you said and and see what's going on ahead of time so you know things that you might have forgotten about or not you know realize that might affect it's like hey this is gonna happen on that same day we this happens to us a lot because we we are doing so many different things and it's kind of like oh should we maybe switch that or change that so it's just kind of eliminating some blind spots when you're working on a lot of different things so if like you've got closing certain day, you know like that having a centralized calendar really helps the whole team get organized So I wanted to give you guys um, a chance to talk about some mistakes uh, that you see a lot of people make because there's a lot of things that you can do and spin your wheels on and and maybe we've all made made mistakes. I'm going to correct myself. We have all made mistakes in our careers, Um, you know, when it comes to marketing. So like what are what are some that you see often or that maybe have happened to you? Um, I'll go first. Um, I think, I think it goes back to, uh, the clear messaging. I think, I think a lot of times people, people consider marketing as like, you know, packaging things really pretty or really something like a certain, like you expect marketing to do some type of magic to make your brand look extra shiny. And then you start using a lot of words that don't necessarily add anything to it, but then it sounds it sounds fancy, sounds professional. It sounds like I am in uh, I'm competing with the big dogs. But at the end of the day, it's like if people don't understand what you're selling, there's no point. I mean, pe- people have that three seconds, five seconds to quickly understand when they visit your social media or website, like literally that one sentence is all you have and if you end up using some type of jargons or some type of you know a lot of descriptive word that you know adds nothing to it don't really say anything yeah and then like people don't I mean I think that's also one of the reason why we have to uh restructure our website according to Courtney because you know it was simply just not clear enough I mean sure I know about prop logics but now that you're asking me huh I'm not so sure like you know what exactly they're selling so I think that that will be it's all the keywords Mm -hmm. you know that have been out for years disrupt innovative you know it's like what are you doing it's like sounds sexy but what does it mean right you're like how are you innovating what are you just how are you helping me yeah right exactly yes groundbreaking it's like oh my gosh what are we breaking yeah no I totally agree what would you had said something Becky what what's your thing like that you feel you see yeah and we were trying to remember what the exact quote was the other week but I think it's perfection is the enemy of progress yes, which I, I love and I believe in strongly I think that when it comes to marketing 
um, just to, you know, Sam's point that you can put a ton of words out there that don't mean anything. It's like, yeah, you can. But I would say, you know, just try. Try and do and get out there and test and see, you know, if something long and fluffy gets people to react and engage or if something small and quick does. Um, you know, Lindsay, you were talking about 11 touch points earlier, being able to get in front of somebody and actually, um, you know, have them recognize who you are. It used to be, what, seven? You used to have to tell someone something seven times. And now in the digital world, with all the different distractions, it's gone up. I've heard as high as 15. Either way... If you sit there and you worry about one thing that's going to go live or is it okay or God forbid you did make a typo because you didn't have Grammarly turned on and you're so worried, it's like, you know, then then you're looking at everything with a million eyes before you push it live. It's like, just do it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Don't be hard on yourself. You know, you want to represent the company and yourself in the best way possible, and you're going to do that. And you're going to do it through testing, and you're going to find some things work and some things don't. But if you sit around and you wait and you try to make things perfect, marketing is ever-changing. You know, what's working, what's trending, the algorithms inside of social media, and, and what's actually working. I mean, if you're not constant and you're not engaging, then you, you're going to miss kind of the transitions that are happening in the modern day world that are going to make an impact anyway. So I would say just do. Think less, create the templates, be consistent with your brand, and just get out there. And slowly and surely, you'll gain the visibility that you need. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a perfect thing. I would say for me, it's like you'll see certain social media like platforms and stuff like and the only thing that they ever post like the different brands or whatever, it's just like if you're looking for this, we'll help. You know, it's like, OK, you know, it's like essentially using their their their, you know, um, their post as a, as a billboard for their brand and you're not really bringing value you're not really participating in a conversation like I would say more so than wasting time on just like throwing together some kind of for better like lack of a better word like meaningless like t text you know I think like uh, like engaging in the conversation like maybe setting aside some time and like you know maybe say like okay I'm gonna do this for 15 minutes every day like you can either find time in the morning before you start your day or in the evening where you're literally going and you're like looking you're following the people that are it should be on your radar whether they're existing clients or they're people you want to be working with and and adding value to the things that they're already posting you don't necessarily have to say something amazing on your own page but if you're part of the conversation and adding that's the thing it's like adding value you're not no one's gonna see your post and be like oh okay I guess I should work with this person because you're not really delivering anything that means anything to anybody you know like you're not you're not meeting people at the point with that they're but if they're posting and they're talking about something like hey does anyone know about this or hey I ran into this issue has anyone else ever you know it's like hey I see that all the time I'm a close you know like you're you can subtly plug what you do, but you can also provide some value. I don't know. I feel like it's just such a wasted opportunity. And it's like, if you're going to be doing something, you might as well be providing some sort of helpful something. Yeah. And then to add on to that, because like, you know, not necessarily just on social media. I mean, a lot of times when people live in like certain community, they will have like, you know, a group of just that specific area or on next door. And people always asking the most random questions on all this platform and that's the perfect opportunity for you to add on your expertise of people just, oh what about this and then and 
I remember, well, I, I found like a little, I, I think when I got the property tax and it was ridic ridiculously high and then everybody was on next, next door and then like uh, literally coming up with strategy of uh, how you can appeal this and then, you know, the successfully and then it, it to me it was it was something it was like you I would never expect that I would find some type of advice or answers on next door instead of like Google. I mean most of the time I just go on mm -hmm. Google and then you try to find uh answers and information. But when it comes to like, you know, maybe like the least expect platforms that you might think that you will get your customers, but those are all opportunities. Yeah. And next door again is a is a forum, right? Mm -hmm. For like homeowners. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of things out there. Things like Quora, Q-U-A or Q-U-O-R-A or like Reddit, mm -hmm. which is kind of another one that it like has been around for a long time. But it's like people going around and asking questions like that's how you can really mine some like, hey, these are things everyone's asking. And it's like maybe that's an opportunity for me to write a blog or even just like kind of pitch in and say, hey, here's what I know about that. So I wanted to give Courtney a chance. I want to throw you under the bus and see is there are no. there any mistakes that you see? Um, people making that you, you wish you could be like, don't do that. Here's why. Yeah, definitely from the visual side, people tend to think more is more, especially with Canva. Yes, it is an amazing tool and they make it so easy to be able to pull in graphics and illustrations and photos. But just because you can pull all that and add it to your graphic you're creating doesn't mean you should. Um, keep it simple. Um, take an element out if you're wondering if it's too much. Um, Cause the more you have going on visually, someone's going to scroll past it because they're going to look at it and be like, this is confusing. I don't know where to look and keep on going. So it's important to really just keep it simple visually and stick to your core branding. Yeah, such a good point. Well, I wanted to thank all of you for being here. I know that you're very busy, but it's been really fun. I know we interact a lot as a team. Um, so it was fun to f bring everybody on the podcast and kind of be part of this um, and share some really helpful stuff because we're in it every day. So if you haven't checked out our webinar that we did, you can find it on the PropLogics website. Uh, it's proplogics.com forward slash resources. Uh, we have tons of other information about marketing and sales and how to grow your business there as well. So uh, thank you all, Becky, Courtney, and Sam for being here. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much, you. Linz. This was so much fun. And it is. We live and breathe it every day. So it's awesome for us to share. And if anybody does have any questions or wants to continue the conversation with us, we would love to engage. Thank you all. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. 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 To find more resources about marketing and growing your title company, visit the link in the show description. Before we go, we decided that this season we'd like to provide a little more value for our listeners and share some of the latest headlines in the title and real estate industry each episode. It's February 7th and here are some of the top stories we're looking at this week. As you're probably well aware, mortgage rates jumped back over 7% at the beginning of the week, which is still lower than October when we saw them go as high as 8%. In other news, lawmakers are feeling the pressure from constituents on the high cost of housing. A new bill announced last week in the Senate aims to help local and state governments increase affordable housing supply. The bill would establish a $300 million grant program, which state and local governments would apply for. And finally, the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen remarked before a House committee this week that commercial real estate is a concern, but it is, quote, manageable. Loans tied to offices and multifamily housing are showing the most weakness. 
experts predict there's a good chance that some small banks will close or be forced to merge, but there isn't much risk of a repeat of 2008. Title Talks is a production of PropLogix. PropLogix is a tech-enabled due diligence provider helping title professionals get to the closing with confidence. Be sure to check out more of our awesome time-saving services at proplogix.com forward slash services. That's P-R-O-P-L-O-G-I-X.com forward slash services. Until next time, happy closings.